Let's pray together, please. That amidst sermon and song and scripture and community gathered, the Spirit, your Spirit, your Holy Spirit, the Spirit which is ever alive and working in your church today as yesterday, be present among us, speak to us as a community, and guide us to be faithful for our day and time through the one who made love incarnate, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, far be it for me to uh, advise the Son of God and the Savior of the world on how to construct a sermon, but I have to say that the passage we just read is a little bit preachy and somewhat boring. <clears throat> and I know about preachy and boring. Not only is it long, it's a bit confusing. For it feels to me like Jesus is playing both sides here. On the one hand, Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law. But on the other hand, by the time he's through with it, the law is almost unrecognizable by the breadth that he gives to it. On the one hand, he, sound, he could sound like a, a fundamentalist, literalist preacher. Not one law, letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass away. On the other hand, we know that Jesus was one who violated some of the laws of ritual purity, of eating with certain people and associating with women and lepers, of touching uh, people who are dead, of, of uh, violating the codes of the Sabbath. So what are we to make of this passage? And might there be something in Jesus' way of approaching these six examples he cites to provide for us a path into the complexities of today's world and today's news? I want to back up just a little bit and give a context for Matthew chapter 5. At the very beginning, we talked about this several weeks ago, where Jesus describes as blessed that is, those who are in sync with God are people like this, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who make for peace, those who are pure in heart, those who hunger for righteousness, those who were persecuted because of love's sake. What I noticed, what we noticed is that the ones who are blessed, the ones who are in sync with God, are those people who have been hurt those people who are broken, those people who are vulnerable and persecuted. And then Jesus announces that these blessed ones, these wounded ones, they will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. As if to say, it's really not possible to bear the light of God. It's not possible to be this salt of the earth without first having experienced some of the pain of the world. For unlike those who have it all, unlike those who are a void of pain or deny or run from pain, those simpler ways of Jesus' blessed ones make them more focused, more invested in the issues and the challenges of all people. Maybe it's because they're less distracted Maybe they have less to lose, less to protect, less to manage. Or maybe it's because they recognize that when they hunger and thirst for God's justice for all people, that they themselves are part of that all. 
They themselves are some who need God's justice. They need God. They need love. They need this awakening to the very sacredness of life. In other words, those who are blessed, those who will be salt and light, are those who see life from a different angle, from a different point of view. They see dimensions of God's truth and life more fully and more clearly. Blessed are those who see and join in this movement toward justice and love and inclusion and forgiveness. For without this blessing of seeing life more fully, of seeing life from this different angle, it's possible that we're not even able to see what's right in front of us. I've had to recognize this reality in my own life this week. As conversations began to rise up about the appropriateness of the Confederate flag on the state capital of South Carolina, and as here in Kentucky we began to raise questions about the statue of Jefferson Davis in our state capital in Frankfurt. Now, full disclosure, I, I have to say I'm a Yankee. Born in Pennsylvania, raised in Ohio, so I don't have the personal investment that I understand others do. And I think that's important that we understand that we all come to issues from a, from a particular point of view. But for me, the Confederate flag has always felt uncomfortable, a little bit tacky, kind of in your face. But I heard that it was about tradition. It was about heritage. It was about freedom. It was about nobility of people and gallantry. And it was about our way of life, they would say. And frankly, I kind of bought into that. It didn't occur to me as a white man to read anything more into it than this was just some kind of southern tradition that I didn't understand. I thought of southerners like Aggies from Texas A&M. You know, they're just, they're just weird and different. They've got these rituals. They live in the past. So, you know, let them keep their flag. It never occurred to me to ask if the flag ever pained anyone else. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. It wasn't my pain. I didn't feel hopeless. I didn't feel devalued. But after the assassinations at Mother Emanuel AME, which sadly and providentially is the church that's referenced in the book that I've quoted several weeks in a row called The Invention of Wings, after those assassinations, it now occurs to me finally, to consider if the symbol of the Confederate flag is offensive, not to me, but to African Americans who experience daily subtle reminders that to be black is to be less than. Even in the year 2015, to recognize that African Americans still earn less, have less stability, and less opportunity to break into the world that we all take for granted. And I realize 
that for them it's not just a painful history. It's ongoing. It's about racism and pain now. And I realized that Christ, Jesus, came into this world to invite people to see life differently. To clarify God's values, God's core values, upon which we can rely and apply and interpret Scripture for our own day to the situations of our day. That God has always been about creating a community which sees more clearly. Which is why I think Jesus' favorite miracle was to open the eyes of the blind. To let them see more clearly. And so from our text today, we see Jesus citing these six laws found in the Hebrew scripture about murder and adultery and divorce policies and swearing and making proportional retaliations and being kind to the neighbor who is like you. He cites these, but in each case, he takes not just the rule, but the spirit, God's core value, and says to them, but I say to you, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I say to you, Treat every person with the kind of respect that God has for each and every one of us. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, allow people to own what is theirs, including women and their bodies. By the way, I think adultery and covetousness both go together. You want something of someone else's that's not yours to take, but you take it. You've heard it said, don't get divorced, or if you're going to get divorced, give a a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, don't throw away people. Don't make people be vulnerable. Make marriage permanent and sacred. You've heard it said, don't swear or, or make an oath. But I say to you, just be honest. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be people of deep integrity. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth proportional retaliation, but I say to you, unilaterally disarm. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Be the kind of person that God in Jesus Christ is revealed to be, one who absorbs the pain rather than dispenses the pain. You've heard it said of old, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. For your enemy is your sister or your brother who's forgotten about your relationship with them. What I see in Jesus' teachings, to those of us who are blessed, to those of us who sometimes get it and see through the eyes of God, is that God's core value is always about more. More graciousness, more inclusion, more self-giving. More peace initiating. The direction is always, always toward more. Not less. More. So that if Jesus were here today giving his sermon, 
He might say, you've heard it said of old that the Confederate flag is a symbol of tradition and culture, but I say to you that any tradition that doesn't include all of my children needs to be put away in a museum. Or, you've heard it said of old that marriage is between one man and one woman, but I say to you that marriage is about love. It's about covenant. It's about fidelity. It's about monogamy and about self-giving. So that no longer do we need to talk about same-sex marriage or marriage equality. It's just marriage. And all are included. If the direction of Jesus is toward inclusion and love and grace, then the direction of the scribes and the Pharisees is in the opposite direction, toward exclusion and fear and judgment. And by the way, when I say the religion of the Pharisees, I'm not just talking about one Jewish group. I'm talking about any religion based on scarcity and control and fear. The Pharisees read the text. They read it carefully and literally and strictly. And what it leads them to do is to point out the sins of other people. Other people. For the Pharisees stay within the bounds, within the rules. They don't murder. They don't commit adultery. They don't get divorced. They don't have to watch how they make their promises and swearing. They stay within the bounds, and so they feel good about themselves. They feel self-justified. It feeds their ego, and it leads them to judge other people. This Pharisaism can sneak up on a person. It can infect your life when you least expect it. Every night, Terry and I take a a walk in our neighborhood. We like our neighborhood. There's lots of beautiful lawns, nice houses. We admire the things that people are doing in their front lawns and how they're caring for their lawns and and, uh, setting out bushes and plants and all. But on Strathmore, there's this one house where instead of grass, there's mostly dirt. And instead of a well-kept yard, there's toys and bikes and skates and scooters and all manner of thing that you have to kind of walk around. And every time I walk by it, I think to myself, man, I'm glad I'm not their neighbor. I I wouldn't do it that way. It occurred to me one day, well, obviously, here's a family with children who are raising their children not in the privacy of the backyard, but in the public space of the front yard. Isn't that what I'd want? And last month when Terry and I went to Florida to watch our four-year-old and two-year-old, I suddenly understood why people left their toys out all night long. (laughs) By the time you get them in a bath and get them into bed and all those stories read, the last thing you're thinking about is what's in the front yard. My point is, who made me the yard police? Who appointed me to be the judge? But this Pharisaism, this judgment, it can creep up on us. Pharisees presume power to make and interpret and enforce the rules, no matter what its effect is on other people. And the truth is, a community of faith like this 
always has to be asking itself, where are we in the role of the Pharisee? Where do we, as a predominantly white congregation, have the power and the position and the privilege to presume to make the rules and set the agenda for all of the rest of the world? And so we gather as we are today in humility and honesty, not to hear a preacher, but to listen for that spirit among us and to ask, do our core values, our core values, mirror the values that God has revealed in Jesus and in this Sermon on the Mount? Are we more generous, more faithful, more inclusive, more forgiving, more peace-filled, more willing to bear the burden rather than give the burden? God's core values revealed in Jesus' way is absolutely the truth which could set us free if only we truly believed it. It could set us free if only we believed it. This is the way, and Jesus said, I am the way. This is the way I think Christians are called upon to look at the issues of our day. Whatever those headlines are, climate change, the Affordable Care Act, tax, war, gay rights, this is the way we come to these issues and ask, how can we be more like Jesus? How can we embody God's core values? And I realize this part of the Sermon on the Mount that I presume to be preachy and boring is actually radically instructive and liberating for those who have the ears to hear. For it speaks of a God who loves us more than we love ourselves who loves this world more than we can possibly imagine, who's a God of generosity. I don't know about you, but for me, it's hard to love a God of laws. I may obey this God and fear this God, but underneath I'm going to resent and avoid this kind of God. But a God whose core values is about liberating, inclusive love for all people, including Me and all that I know that I do that is wrong and bad, including me? Well, this is a God I can love. This is a God I can feel. This is a God I can live into and embody and trust and ultimately a God I can share. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Our God, for the gift of your son Jesus, who comes to save us from our sins, who comes to call us into this more excellent way, who comes to open blind eyes, thank you. May we not only admire him and sing about him, May we embody him, the way, the truth, the life. To your glory now and forevermore.
Amen.